me to introduce you uh, to Amin. We've done this before, but I just learned that Amin doesn't know anything about stocks. Like, this is his blind spot, Henry, and so we're going to put him on the spot right now. Amin Hassan from the Levitard show, the pirate on the pirate ship. What is a short? I learned, well, I Googled this right before we started this call. So (laughs) apparently, (laughs) apparently you can borrow stocks and then sell them and then pay them back. I I did not know you could do that. I I didn't know I could like borrow your car and then sell it and then buy your car cheaper somewhere else and then give you your car back, you know, and keep the difference. Uh, It's just kind of like, remember the NBA referee scandal where they were going to first class tickets? And they would trade it in for coach and they pocket the difference. Like, that's the only thing I thought about. But, like, I, I had everyone's like, oh, and they shorted the stock and they shorted the shorted. I'm like, I, what does this mean? I, I had no idea. All, all of this stuff is, is just. Well, you know what it means. You know what it means. Like, it, the, uh, the philosophy behind it is I'm just. Well, betting. now I do. Yeah. I didn't know the philosophy either. I didn't know anything <laughs> until literally it's 1139 local time for me, probably 1136. I found this out. I think the, to me the point of it is it's the only way, maybe the only way that you that I don't know if you can invest where you can lose infinite money. Yeah, because the stock can bottom out if you bet long instead of short. If you bet long on a stock, you're saying, "Hey, I'm just lingo." I think I think this I think I think this company McDonald's is going to do really well next year, so I'm going to go long on it, which is really just like the conventional pick is like a stock. I'm going to buy some of that stock and then I'm mm-hmm. going to sell it later when it goes really high. But there's mm-hmm. this other thing, which is like, if that, if McDonald's bottoms out and goes to zero, you just lose your money. But if you short a stock, your mm-hmm. losses could be infinite because your stock How? can go up forever. So, oh, oh, I got the analogy here. So if you take Tom's car, you have to give him back his car at whatever price right. his car might be. Right. So you have to pay whatever that price is. And my, that car could be a billion dollars tomorrow. Because you sold it. <laughs> what, wait, what if I just don't give him the car back? Well, this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit because you don't actually have his car. <laughs> you promised to return his car, but you don't actually have it. Right. Yeah, you got to go it. buy it on the market. Yeah. And maybe Porsche is really. But what, if, what, but what if you don't? The bank comes after you and just, just, uh, just you, takes everything. You should never ask that question. <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I, ain't, I don't got it. Like, what? Well, well, I guess I'm thinking about it like if I borrowed money from you, yeah, and I got to pay you back, and I say I don't, I don't got it. Like, then what? I guess it's specified. In the, you have a contract, right? It's a con- I guess it's in the contract. Like you're gonna have, then they'll take your toenails. I think it's probably what it's gonna be, something like that. And this is something that people do regularly. Like it's a, it's a. No, no, like this is a hedge like fund the, game. Yeah. yeah, this is a hedge fund thing. This is sophisticated oh. derivative markets where they leverage the shit and they hedge. It's called a hedge fund because they hedge their bets. If they're long on something, they think something's going to do well, they bet big on it, but they also hedge their bets so that they like guarantee a profit. So they bet the other side and you basically manu- you manipulate the market enough that you're going to guarantee, quote unquote, high returns. And with enough money and enough power in the system, in the in the market, you can kind of force your way into a positive return, which is what means whole- making the this whole shit is rigged face. Yeah. Okay. But you can't uh, no, do that. You, you, you sitting on the couch can't like guarantee that if you bet on 10 stocks, you can get a rate of return. 
So because they were selling GameStop, that's what made theoretically the thing go down. That doesn't but make then, sense. But huh? Who? But what? then because because the hedge fund people were selling GameStop, that made the stock go down. But then all these people crowdsourced or you know group funded or whatever went in and bought it, and so the stock went back up. Right. So I think the GameStop, the the hedge fund people were shorting it, basically placing bets, expecting it to go down, um, but didn't but, own. But how, like, what what form does that placing <laughs> so a bet take? It's a it's a contract. They're basically like, will. So that's what I'm saying. They borrowed GameStop's stock from someone else who actually owns it. I guess and that's then, right. and then they sold it. No, then. So basically. They signed a contract saying in a year, probably, or 18 months, or on some schedule, they're going to give somebody a bunch of GameStop stock, which is a bet that they'll be able to get it cheaper in a year than now, right? But basically, Reddit came along and we're like, we're going to make it expensive for you to keep your promise. So when that when the time comes, when the bill is due in a year, you got to go to the market and buy all those shares that you promised, all those bets, and be like... I promised you. I know. I promised you GameStop. I would buy in it all the GameStop stop stock in a year, and I thought it was going to be like two dollars, but now it's two hundred and fifty dollars. Wait. Okay. So the owner of the GameStop stock, right? The yeah. person who from whom these stocks are being borrowed. Why would I ever sign up for this? I get why the hedge fund would do it. Would borrow so they could sell and then buy it back later at cheaper and then give you your stock back. But it's like, why would I lend my car to someone who's going to give me my car when it's like in worse condition, basically, which is what the hedge fund game is, right? Why would anyone ever do that? I, They're betting that their car will actually... I'm not, I'm not sure there is an owner, right? Well, who are they borrowing the stock from? GameStop? I, that, I don't know. The bank, I, Tom, the know. bank. I think the bank gets a vig on those contracts, mm-hmm. so the bank is incentivized to sign up those contracts because you're paying a premium for Who, that deal. Okay, the, so the, but who is the deal with? The <laughs> bank, like Morgan questions. Stanley or Ameritrade. So the, ba- the bank, the bank owns the stock of GameStop, and they're lending it to the hedge fund, who then sell it and then sublet it or whatever. You said, see, like I, I don't understand. They said I, – I looked it up on Investopedia or whatever. <laughs> Shorting a stock is when you borrow the stock and then sell it and then buy back later for a, a slower price to give it back to. Yeah. But then you pocket the money and the difference. Who did you borrow the stock from? It's the bank. <laughs> I think it's the bank. So the bank, the bank owns GameStop stock and the hedge funds have borrowed the GameStop stock from the bank. And the bank – so what happened here in this is that when Gabe Plotkin, who – was running Melvin Capital, who is a minority stakeholder in the Charlotte Hornets. Michael Jordan sold him a chunk of the Charlotte Hornets based on the fact that he's worth a shit ton of money and that he has done very well in the hedge fund game, in the stock market. Huge returns, like year over year, 30%, 40% returns, which are astronomical in the stock market, right? And... He makes these bets that GameStop is going to just collapse. And so when the bank – when it doesn't collapse and the bank is seeing that you own all these positions on GameStop, 
and the GameStop's share price is at 250, the bank is calling that dude and be like, you need to, you need to close out your stock. Like this stock can go up to 400 and you're going to, I'm not going to see any money. So the bank is incentivized to come at you at, at the investor and be like, I need that money now. And they have the power to do that. And so it's called closing out your position, which Gabe Plotkin, this billionaire wonderkind who is like, as it was described to me, I mean, was the Luka Doncic of investing, of the hedge fund world, right? He made a bad bet that GameStop was going to bottom out. And then the bank came after him and said, we need you to close out on this deal at 250 or whatever it is. And he lost a lot of money. So much so that at the time of the story, Henry, that I did for TrueHoop.com, the number was 30% that he had lost up this year. The fund had lost up to last Friday. And what I'm hearing is that it is way worse than that. And that this fund is essentially, uh, it's not dead. It's not wiped out. But it's very unlikely that Melvin Capital uh, exists in its current form. Hmm. Um, <laughs> how'd that go for you? I mean, <laughs> it didn't answer, it didn't answer any of my questions. Which is, <laughs> pause of the course. It was a good pivot but, though. <laughs> but like what I've, I've I tried, I mean, I, I mean, I tried, the, I tried to steer more, it. To, the, yeah. No, I'm just saying, we were going to talk about ba- like the basketball applications, but like the reality is like either I either, <laughs> I'm just a moron, which is very possible when it comes to this. Like everyone's got, the, you know, that one blind spot. This is the darkest of dark blind spots that will never get illuminated in my brain. Or I am the child from the emperor's new clothes. And I'm like, what? This doesn't make sense. And nobody actually knows. Like everyone's like, oh, because I've asked questions before and I got a similarly convoluted answer that doesn't actually answer anything that I asked about. But I'm like I kind of at that point, I, that's why the blind spot remind, remains. I just say I give up. OK, I'm just dumb. I'm going to go with the golden child theory, but I just think you should ask not basketball journalists. <laughs> yeah. You should ask. That's, like, a, good like, That's you know. a good point. That's a good point. The problem is like I need, I need someone to explain it to me like, a, like literally like I'm a moron. Right? Me too. And, I, I would like to listen in when that happens. And yeah. I, like I try I – try, like I try like people are like, oh, read up and I go online. I'm like none of this shit makes sense because it, you know what it was like if I didn't watch basketball – and I was like, yo, how did the, the Sixers beat the Lakers last night? Well, I'll tell you why. They kept running floppy action with a cross screen. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck this means. Like, <laughs> you need to tell me what these things mean in order for me to understand. Oh, that's what happened. But, like, it just keeps using jargon upon jargon. And I'm Googling the jargon. I was like, okay, so they borrow it. Who did they borrow it from? Uh, and I'm like, okay. So then, then none of these explanations really make sense to someone like me. And, and so – you know, I, I I remember a long time ago I read uh, Warren Buffett say he doesn't invest in anything he doesn't understand. That's not to say that it's not valuable, that it can't make a lot of money for people. You just say, for me, I can invest in something I don't understand. For him Do at the time, he was, like, about, he was talking about he was talking about the dot com. The, the one thing I mean doesn't know, and he's already got the, the best advice on that thing. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like you're set, I mean, you're, you're good. It's like, my only lighthouse when it comes to this shit. Like, yeah. if I don't understand the business model, like, then it's just like that ain't for me. It, I, I'm sure it's for someone, but it's not for me. Uh, I was talking to Ethan last night. Ethan was telling me about, um, oh no, I was I'm sorry, Ethan. I was talking to to Roz, Roz Golden Wude. She was telling me about NBA Top Shop, 
and this oh, thing yeah. about like yeah. these digital uh, collectibles and, and it's a marketplace for NBA moments that are like and, and, basketball cards, and, digital basketball but, cards. But I'm like, what determines the value? She says the base, the community. I'm like, well, how do you determine what's valuable? What's not? Right? It's not like a Michael Jordan like rookie card of which there were only 17 made or Honus Wagner or whatever. That I can I can understand. It's like there's only a bunch of these and they were made at a specific time in the past. And so now vintage. it's like having Superman one. I understand that. But you tell me something that's digital, like I can go on YouTube and watch it. So what makes this any more valuable than that? And the reality is I don't understand. I'm sure it is. I'm not knocking it. It's a, it's a business that people are making a lot of money on, but like, I don't get it. So, well, and, and, and to be clear, like I, there are, there's a lot going on here. One is it's actually complicated. Another is no one wants you to understand it, right? Yeah, like right. no one wants me to understand it. And, and I'll point out a fair number of the people in the story have gotten in trouble for insider trading or similar. And like, not totally coincidence that they're in a line of work where you can't fucking understand what they do. Right. Like, they might prefer it that way. There's there's a group of people who are involved in this story that moved the market or ins, did, was pled guilty to insider trading that basically manipulated the market or got the information that will move the market tomorrow, but got it tonight. So they can but make also, so like so, all right, let's say let's say let's say I mean let's say uh Let's say – let's say just take – let's say Penny Hardaway. You're right. with the Suns and Penny Hardaway in practice uh, turns his ankle and he's out for the rest of the year. But you take that information. You go to the betting markets and like profit off of it before it's public knowledge. For right. everyone knows that Penny Hardaway well, – that, that, that I understand. I understand insider trading. Okay. I, 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 but, but like my, my thing is this. For instance, in this example, right? You said the bank is making the dude – like call right at 250. My thing is, well, I guess it depends on what the contract says. If the contract payback is like next year, I was like, wouldn't they just wait it out? Because GameStop, and that's a, the weird thing for me. GameStop, in and of itself, it is a dying business. People aren't even buying physical video. Forget about people not buying from brick and mortar. People aren't buying physical video games. They're downloading them, and as internet speeds are faster and faster, like. The whole construct of a GameStop is irrelevant. So if I were the dude, I would just say, well, I'm going to just wait until inevitably this shit is going to crash because it's not like they're making stuff. You can't, that all right, so when you do a short, you can't just wait it out. The bank is going to come after you and say, you have to buy it at 250 because we're not going to be holding the bag. We're the bank and we're not going to be holding the bag on your poor decision because what we don't and want to happen. Why, is that why the bank does it? Yes. Is that what the bank, the bank is basically betting against the hedge fund. Yes. Well, if you're, if you're that, if you're, they need to be not holding the bag there. And so if you're, if you're the, the hedge fund manager and you are super overextended and you can't pay back the bank, the bank is going to try to get you early and get their money back before you go completely. Let's let's talk about basketball. I I just realized (laughs) my my brain started, my eye twitched. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, Stephen Cohen, who bought the, uh, bought the New York Mets, who is, who ran SAC capital, which, is rumored to be and probably is the basis of Billions, the show about Bobby Axelrod, is loosely based on Stephen Cohen. He just tweeted three minutes ago, I'm not feeling the love on this site today. Trading is a tough game, don't you think? Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Is, is that what side of 
history does he stand? I don't know. Um, I, I don't even know who, who the like. Everyone's like, it's us versus them. Like, who the fuck is us and them? I don't God. know. Yeah, that's fair. Like, um, the cool to me, the cool like, part of the story is that our, our 401k is not tied up into these hedge funds. Maybe, perhaps. Like, could we not begin? Like, here's the thing. It seems to me like in this case, the bank is going to make out like a bandit, and the hedge funds are going to get screwed. But a lot of like pensions and 401ks are tied into hedge funds, and the bank is the bank. So why is everyone cheering the bank having this victory? I get it. The what the billionaire dude gets fucked over, but doesn't everybody else get screwed over as well? Yeah, but or that happens just- anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's factored in. No, but I think the the one kind of in NBA interesting part of this thing is all as it's all happening on social media, like in real time, two of the loudest voices excited about people screwing over. Michael Jordan's business partner are an investor in the Warriors and Mark Cuban. So it's literally like it's creating owner crime. Well, it's like it's it, there's real in financial instability potentially on the horizon for the Hornets out of this, and it's being egged on moment by moment by uh, Warriors and Mavericks. You know, Which people is that are bad. Which is bad, right? It's bad. Now, this, now we're back into like the calmer shores for me. It's bad because even though as a billionaire, you know, Mark Cuban, or with your own personal value system, it benefits you for this to happen. It's bad as a a partner in a league. You need all the partners to be strong. You don't want to have weak partners. And this weakening Michael Jordan makes the league weaker and really hurts Mark Cuban, at least in his his Mavericks business. Yeah. See, I sound smart again. Yeah. So like the Warriors investor that Henry mentioned – like tweeted out when when Wall Street bets the Reddit forum was buying up all this GameStop uh, stock and basically torpedoing this hedge fund. This Warriors investor was going on Twitter and calling it baller shit. That we are run, like there's there's a movement happening on Reddit where these everyday people are burying a hedge fund and he's cheering it on. He's tweeting about it. A Warriors. Investor, a part owner of the Warriors, is saying this Charlotte Hornets owner, co-owner, partner of Michael Jordan, screw that guy, like take him down. And and it's and it's great. It's it's. I never thought we would see this kind of level of competition at this level. Wouldn't you say though that at the lower levels of ownership, where it becomes partnership rather than ownership, right? You don't really care about the health of the league as much. Like the governor cares about the health of the league. Joe Lacob should care. Mark Cuban should care. John Najafi, who is a a minority owner in the in the Suns, doesn't care because his owner, like at the minority levels, your ownership is more about like I want to go to that game and get good seats and and be able to yeah. bring these people to my cocktail party and less to do about the health of the league and and stuff like that. That those are. Those are kind of levels of worry that are above his pay grade, so to speak. All I care about is having a fun toy and being able to say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a part of I think that's right. Team. I also think there's like Gabe Plotkin isn't really a known NBA. Like he matters to Michael Jordan. But I, you know, I don't know if NBA investors in the markets even really know that he's a right. big NBA figure. So and, you know, he's not we don't know. He's not the governor of the Hornets. We don't know how much he owns, but it might be a lot. But. I think he's replaceable. There are plenty of billionaires who would like to own a chunk of an NBA team. So 
I don't know if health of the league, like if Michael Jordan's really feeling the pain, it's a health of the league issue. But if if Gabe Plotkin needs to be replaced, then I guess that's doable. Yeah, and and you could almost argue that that's a weed. It's a Darwin thing. It's like if maybe, maybe Gabe Plotkin shouldn't have been owning a part, part part of the NBA piece of the pie. So this is almost like a weeding out of the unfit partners. I don't know. Like if you're arguing, is this is this a good thing that a Warriors investor is bullying another partner in this whole thing? I don't know. I don't know if like net net that's a good thing, but it's certainly interesting. It's I don't think I've seen it in the NBA. Like I Henry, like how often do we see other minority stake or, or investors with B billions of dollars like going at each other like this? In in the public forum, like in backs in back rooms or like conference rooms or boardrooms, like yeah, maybe they like mother f this this guy, but like this is happening on Twitter and it's getting thousands and thousands oh, like of retweets. The, the Giants are fighting. Yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, the Warriors are the Silicon Valley team, and that seemed like a really sort of deep pocketed and maybe like sensible thing, right? But now it's like Mark Stevens shoves Kyle Lowry and yells at him and his own team, like Draymond is that, Green. Is that, the, is that the same dude, by the no, way? No, two different know, dudes. It's, a, it's the same little Warriors advisory yeah. board, right? I'm like, like it's a little wild. Well, Silicon Valley now in 2021, we know, is like kind of way more edgy and dangerous and weird than we had thought five years ago, right? Like we're seeing like Peter Thiel. There's all kinds of – all these people are, are, are tied up in a lot of other stuff that sort of – coming to head now um i don't know it's funny i've often thought about this where we often behave as though well there are always going to be billionaires and the rest of us are always rich people and the reality is no there it hasn't always been or i should say this it hasn't been like this for that long like it all started about like 20 years ago yeah it's crazy it's it's not it's not like something that's been like since the the carnegie's and like no like this What's happening right now is basically since what? I mean, I guess thirty years ago, right? The eighties since Reagan, and, and and exacerbated, or you know, egged on, I guess, by the dot com uh, of the late nineties, and then the housing market, right? Like all of these things, when they burst, they created massive opportunity for people who already had a lot of money. <laughs> so, and it's created a stratification that is cartoonish and has nothing to do with capitalism or American values. It is literally just pure greed. Like Gordon Gecko, it's funny, they did the Wall Street sequel like 10 years ago whenever. And in it, like Gordon Gecko was like, I, I once said greed is good. Turns out I wasn't greedy enough. <laughs> but like right now, he really would be like a philanthropist. Gordon Gecko of the 80s would be a philanthropist in today's market. Shaq, was it Shaq who talked about like wealth and being rich? Was it Shaq? The Chris Rock. Chris Rock said, Shaq is rich. The guy who cuts his check is wealthy. So we have Michael Jordan who w- went from rich to getting to be wealthy, right? Is he entered the B group, the billionaire group. And he trusts these uh, hedge fund guys to create value for him in the Hornets. But now it's like, oh no. Like – Michael Jordan got into this like inner circle that is so it's what Henry, like how many, how many clubs in the world have a membership list of 30 people? 
like owning an NBA team or running an NBA team is, is the most VIP exclusive circle you can, as a, as a billionaire, it's one of the coolest things. And now these hedge fund investors are attached to Michael and it, there is this part of me that says, oh, shh, like when, when things are hitting the fan in player owner relations, like Michael Jordan steps in. And what if Michael Jordan is no longer there to step in anymore in that capacity? Yeah, it's not like some, you know, I mean, worked for the Suns where there was a famously a difficult owner. <laughs> and, and I think still there's is, like, still is that, that was a past tense. <laughs> yeah. So NBA jobs have a Smithers component, right? Where it's like, how tolerant are you of like, you know, just being Smithers, right? And like, I have very little tolerance for it. I'm bad at that. I don't think it means great at it either, frankly. But um, <laughs> but like that, you know, we're so accustomed to this idea that like there's going to be the 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 sun king around which all shall revolve will be esoteric, nonsensical, uninformed, uh, half cocked, right? Like this is how NBA team. This is the burden of of being in the NBA now. Is like it's not that the metrics or like there isn't enough talent or the money. No, it's like you have to deal with a sun king who sucks, <laughs> like who is not competent, who has not earned his position there. Right. And it's him. It's, it's, I mean, other than one. Um, and so like this kind of like, I mean, I don't, I mean, could probably tell stories for the rest of the show now, but like, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, we know what would be good for the team. How are we going to sell this crazy person on it? Who's only going to be here for an hour a month. Right. So, yeah. By the way, Henry, to that point, that was why way back when, I don't know if you remember this, when you were really gung-ho for Sam Hinkie, I said, it's not going to work. Not because the process is flawed, but because it ignores a very important thing. You have to keep convincing the crazy billionaire yeah. that this is a good idea. And you said, oh, these are Wall Street guys. They're used to this. And I'm like, no, they're not used to their kids going to school and say, your daddy ruined our favorite team. And yeah. there's no there's no substitute for that. There's no uh, an analogy for that in regular business of the idea that people will not like you and know your name for your process. And, and eventually, you know, that, that obviously spelled the end of it, but that, that's the reality. The number one job of a general manager, if you want to keep your job, you want to be long lasting. Then your number one job is to manage up. It's not yeah. to pick the right players, not to sign the right guys. It's not to hire the right coach. It's not to draft. It's not to, uh, it's not your only job, trade. but it's your most important job. It's not right. the cap. It's not your analytics. It's not It's not your scout. And it's none of those things. So yeah, you're right. It's not your only job. But the one that is going to uh, determine whether you keep your job or not is how well you manage up. Guys that manage up well, man, they're, they're in it for the long haul. Guys who could be smart and competent and everything but don't, you see the revolving door. I remember this. I, I Somewhere in like the Kevin Pritchard, Rich Cho – continuum of blazer gms you know they'd be sitting next to paul allen in the stands right yep. looking nervous i would always notice how nervous they looked and uh when one of them left i, can't, I honestly don't remember it might not have been neither of those guys but there was either a story where i heard that basically like paul allen would send like a hundred emails a day why are we doing this why don't we do that and like mm -hmm. that was basically your job <laughs> just emailing that's, paul that's, allen was the job that's not that's not <laughs> and that's that's crazy thing is that's not a like oh my god yeah, I would I would posit that m most, not all. Obviously, that's why we talk about good owners, right? The ones who just let their guys do their job. But like I know Steve Kerr, one of the things 
that made him not want to be a front office guy was that yeah. he did not like the idea that at any waking moment, I'm going to have to have a text or a phone call or an email explaining every small thing that happens all the time. And that's why he became a coach because he's like, yeah. I just want to deal with players and that's it. Right. But that's the reality. Like this is something that's happening across the league. That is not a unique experience that Henry's describing there. And also we had Renee, we had Renee on the show, Renee Montgomery, Henry, a couple weeks ago, who like didn't know who Kelly Leffler was. Leffler, 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 I believe. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Tomato, tomato, as Stugatz would say. Don't care. Um, Who like didn't know who the owner was. Like she just, she sat there on the side of the, uh, sideline of their court, of their games, courtside, and like didn't know her politics, didn't know what she was about. And then people are like, well, how did you not know? And she's like, I mean, she's just sitting there on the court side. Like, I, I don't know. You say hi. Like, good to see you, Kelly. And then you move on. And so my question, Amin, is how often did you have interactions with the owner? Or were you always like too – yeah, Amin, yeah. <laughs> all, all the damn time. Like I, like, I had friends that worked for other teams and they're like, the owner knows you? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, because things would happen like you're in the video room. You're cutting 8 million different things on this outdated equipment that you've asked for more money, but you've been turned down. While From that guy. Them, yeah. Yeah. But you see them, see the company blow money on the dumbest things, right? And he'll walk in and the way that if you've ever been – well, I mean, I guess most people think haven't. So – when you walk into the Suns locker room, you first step in. To the right is the head coach's office. To the left is the video room. In the video room, t- towards the back, like the main video room is very small. It used to be a deck of DVRs or whatever, TV screens, a couple laptops, etc. Then in the back, behind a rack of DVRs, is like this – it's not even a space. It used to be part of a hallway and they closed it off and they put like a little lockers in there for yeah. the video guys, right? Yeah. So you go in there, you put on some sweats or whatever. You got to work somebody out and then you can change back to regular clothes. Robert will walk in on game day in the back there. Robert Sarber. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, I mean, this place is a mess, man. You got to clean up in here. I'm like, why are you back there? There's literally zero reason for him or any other member of the organization who's not a video coordinator to ever set foot back there. There's, it would be like if I came to your house, Henry, and I went upstairs into your master bedroom into the closet and said, this closet's a mess. Why are you here? Why are you even here? And I get it. He, he owns the place. He's in the closet. Yeah. He I, owns the place. But it's like it's it, this has nothing to do with anything we do here. And you're 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 the- – I used to work in this restaurant and um, my buddy Eddie was the manager of the restaurant and it was like the busiest day of the summer. There's a line out the door. It's like a, you know, and we're just, you know, this is the day you're making money. One of the people in the giant crowd is the owner who was very seldom there, but today he's there with his little kids and, uh, you know, it's just cash register, everyone's flying everywhere. And, um, and the guy like, Eddie, Eddie. And just like, uh, you know, yeah, Mr. Whatever your name is. And he's like, we got to get different plastic spoons. These ones, like, they don't suck very well. <laughs> but, you know, but Henry, <laughs> as, as excellent as that is an example of micromanaging of uh, something 
ridiculous at the wrong time, it yeah. still doesn't reflect how ridiculous mine is because at least in that case, the owner is talking about the customer experience. <laughs> Not true. There is no, there is no customer experience back there. No, you're there right. is in in, in in the in our little locker room. Like it was just one of those things where it's like, and I, like, I look, it has its fair share of like positives, or it did before he really started hating me because I told the truth about how bad the team is. But like in the like when I worked there, it had it like it had the perks. Like I could have a conversation with Robert in a way that most people couldn't, or mo- most people would walk around terrified when their owner was in the room. Oh, shut up! I'm like, hey, what's up, bro? Like I, I'm, I'm Robbie. Me. Like, I'm, Robbie. I don't, have, I don't have to be like a dick or whatever about it, right? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, man. Like it. it sometimes you, I wish I was a nameless, faceless cog in the machine. You're never gonna I, pull that off. Not anymore. No. Thanks, uh, I, have, I have a little Suns story from way back when I first started covering the NBA. I had a friend who worked for the Suns, and uh, oh, at All Star Weekend we went to oh, a Starbucks, and um, and went to Starbucks, and then the Suns brass comes in, uh, all the bosses come into the Starbucks. It was like the Starbucks in the lobby of the hotel or whatever, and um, oh. and um, and he's like, oh god, oh god, oh god, like, and I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, I got, they can't see me here, and I'm like, well, why not? And he's like, I'm not supposed to be in like an expensive place like this. Oh, Starbucks. Uh, okay, so so to that point, to that point, I once got a um, expense report rejected from one of my scouting trips. It said why? So what well, says here? You had uh, this uh, fr- uh, you, like frozen lemonade, five dollars. Where's the receipt? And I said, Do you want me to track down the guy, frozen lemonade, peanuts, and ask him for a paper receipt yes. for five dollars? You want me to do that? Well, if it's our company and, money, yes, I would like it. I mean, and so yeah, so so like yes, like it, it, there, uh, we had a uh, uh, an advanced scout who was uh, an assistant coach or whatever, and I remember we were playing like we were doing like the Texas trip, and we we're playing New Orleans afterward, and so New Orleans was playing like the night before or two nights before we were supposed to play them, or the night before we were supposed to play them, or, or whatever. So. The scout was like, well, let me fly southwest. It's like a $59 flight from where we're at. Let me watch the game, get these calls, and then I'll meet you guys in that city. And it got turned down. <laughs> right? Now, two years later, they hire a general manager who decides to remodel the entire fourth floor of the building. And, like, green light everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's like, and, that's, and that's my point. Right. Like we were doing actual basketball work and getting shot down. But literally a grifter takes control. And they were like green lighting everything. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, Managing yeah, let's, up. Yeah. Well, he didn't really manage. He, I guess he managed up to the guy he reported to. And that guy managed up to Robert. But the point being, is like it, it, it was so ridiculous to me. And as I tell, that's why I point out all the time. Remember, like, yo. Steve Kerr, three championships. David Griffin, another chance. Like four out of the five. Excuse me, five out of the five last championship. Five out of six. Right, the Lakers won, breaks the streak. But like Steve Kerr, David Griffin, Nick Nurse was our G League coach, and he won the the Raptors title. Like our handprints are all over the shit. Like all these people work for the same organization. Yes, yes, we all did. (laughs) Yes, we all did, and immediately started winning as soon as. They went somewhere else. And that's what happened to GameStop or something. Yes. 
Well, there was uh, a report a couple of days ago from Sportico that said Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBA Players Union, um, wants players down the line, maybe not next CBA, to have an equity stake in their teams. Mm-hmm. Amin, what do you think about Can't that? Can't do it. How, what happens when you trade someone? No, no, no. I, it's a mutual fund, right? Like, like 10% of every team is in a fund that's fractional ownership of all the players. Wait, so hold on. Uh-oh. Did we, did we veer into <laughs> a dumb Amin? <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, like, like, we <laughs> we're talking about stocks again with Amin. Watch out, Henry. <laughs> hold on. Uh-oh, uh-oh. So, you, so you get equity in all the teams? Well, I, this is my idea. When I saw that, it's, no one's no one's hammered this out. But to me, like clearly, it wouldn't work that you'd own shares in the team you work for, right? Right. Um, so to me, because you're like you say, you're going to get traded, but um, or retire or get injured, or whatever. But um, but I know they already have this system for the marketing money, right? So some some poor sucker has to figure out like all the jersey sales in China, et cetera, all goes into a fund that goes to the NBA and the PA and then splits to the PA chunk. And so to me, I'm like, that's kind of the model, right? It's like, I'd have like, like the PA controls a big fund, like a pension fund almost that has a little stake. So the point, whole point being when teams sell for a big markup, the players get a chunk of that. But they do get a chunk of that How? in a roundabout way. When, 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 when teams sell, right, that, doesn't that like part of that go back into the BRI? Because there's a cut that goes to the league. Maybe, but I guess you'd have a lot more if you owned it. If you owned it, I, right? I guess so. I guess so. I, like I guess my point. I don't know. Like to me, I'm just like, <laughs> or, or what? What are you gonna do? Like, here's the thing. In any given collective bargaining agreement negotiation, there's a list of shit that we want. There's a list of shit they want. How high up the list is this? The players. How- well, I would say it this way. So. They're different measures of the business, right? And all the revenue ones right now suck. And those are the ones the players get half of. And so now it's like a Silicon Valley startup. It's like, are you here for the salary? Are you here for the equity, right? Like basically now's the time to be like, actually, we want the equity, right? Like this is because this is actually, we're now in this thing where all the measurements are bad except the resale value (laughs) because there's another billionaire line who wants to give you a whole bunch of, or these these expansion teams, right? Like once you're talking that kind of money, it's like, yeah, you want to you you just can't make money in this business right now without right. owning a team, right? Because the, the okay, income so, so you want in the future is from building. I like I like the idea of a cut of every sale and every expansion. Yeah. Much like the licensing deal goes back to the player association and then the PA, y'all figure out how to divide this. <laughs> yeah. That would yeah, be right? fun. Right? Yeah. Because here's the thing. What if I'm uh what if I'm Dirk Nowitzki, right? I played 20 years for the Dallas Mavericks. I made them a champion. I made them everything they are, right? It was a trash organization when Mark Cuban took over and I first got there. And by the time I left, it's worth all these billions, whatever. But Mark Cuban doesn't sell until the year 2030. Are we going to give all that money to Luca? That chunk of uh, Luca did that? Yep. Dirk, right? Mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> so I'm saying like... Is it? If the, if, right? Like if the Rockets <laughs> sell... Right, right now, and you know, uh, Tillman Petito makes a bunch of money. I mean, like you tell me, James Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming don't get a big cut of that. Well, I'm telling you, they definitely don't right now. 
uh, no uh, chance, right? But that's my so, point. So, like, that, to me, that, but even but, even if we say, okay, those guys are grandfathered in, let's start today. Let's say the Charlotte Hornets, Devontae Graham becomes the greatest player in the league, right? And MVP of the league and the Hornets, they're not winning championships. They're definitely the darlings of the NBA, right? And Devontae has a long 10-year career, and then he retires, right? He retires. Hell of a ride, guys. Thanks a lot. And then five years after he retires, the Hornets, buoyed by Devontae Graham making them a household name, sell. Yeah. But he's not on the team anymore. But it's clear he's the one that made it what it was. In the same way that no. Michael Jordan made Chicago what it was. So how do you – see what I'm saying? You can't account no, for I, these I, things. I, I think it's you're incremental fairness. I, I like it's incremental saying. changes that – it's not going to solve all of the issues, but it trends the needle in the right direction of equity. And I think you could basically be like, look, 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 I'm smart. People could sit in a room. We, we, we need more dorks, you need a bunch of dorks to figure this out. But off the top of my head, let's say every minute you play an NBA game from the beginning of next season on gives you one share. Mm-hmm. And then when Tillman sells, you know, or any team sells, it doesn't matter. It's not going to Harden. It's going to the whole PA. Right. right, Tillman's profits that chunks of the whole. Man, PA, coaches divide it up. Coaches really hate their jobs at that point. If like, no, no, if like yeah, my playing it, time is now, it's, it's really tied to how much money I'm going to be making at the end of this, yeah. right? But my my point is my point is, regardless of how it's divvied up, how do how do I make sure that my stake is safe if the sale happens long after I'm gone, or do we just have this? revolving register of every player who's ever played for this organization yeah. from the moment we start doing this till till the, the sale of all these organizations they all get a, a, a taste of the action i think right? it's basically like you're going to use your play your work to to earn stock right you're like buying stock in this company which is this fund and the value of the fund will bounce around but you'll own but, a chunk of it you know but i'm saying like the that's what i'm saying you own the stock no matter when you stop playing? Uh, well, yeah, if you keep playing longer, you'll get more stock. No, right? no, no. You, you see what I'm yeah. saying? Like, but then you keep in, holding, in my, in, I would think. In, yeah, my, oh. in my example of Dirk Nowitzki, right? Yeah. Where clearly he is the driver of the value for this franchise, but he's done playing. He's been done playing for a couple of years, assuming that this is he doesn't, in place. He's not able to cash out until the team cashes out, is I think what you're wondering. No, but does he hold on to that forever? Right. Like, I would think does he always get paid out? In my he's proposal, not- he stops earning new stock when he stops playing, but he holds it like a stock, and he sells it whenever he wants it. to sell it. So he holds it forever, whenever he wants to sell it, right? It's just it's just up to him. Yeah, like until yeah. he wants to sell it. So, but yeah. like, that's my thing. So then, so then we're constantly devaluing the stock as more and more players play in this league. Well, but no, we're we're it's going to have a value that fluctuates, but like with each sale, it's going to go up, right? Well, like, we're split we're splitting shares though, right? Like. If, like I know yeah. if I have yeah. if the three of us own a company yeah, and we right. o- yeah. each own a third and we say, oh, you know, uh, Waz is going to come in and be a partner in the company. We just we no longer each own a third. Like that's just mad. We have to now cut carve from our share to give to Waz. And then uh, Trey comes on and then Zach comes on and then Jade comes on. And now we're carving more and more so that everyone's getting these shares. Right. So, so but, I mean, it's only a problem if if Trey and Zach don't increase the value of the place, right? So we've done the formula wrong if they're diluting us, right? Like, like right. they're only in there because the formula is supposed to be capturing their work. So like, oh, look, the place got one Zach more valuable. 
And so we can afford a Zach. And if, you know, maybe the formula is bad and you got to tweak it over time. But like, that's the, that would be the goal would be to design it so that like, as you add a Dirk, you know, like the, you add Dirk cause you want Dirk. So the value goes up for everybody, you know? Because then, then you go into a different thing where it's like, let's say Luca plays the same amount of minutes that Dirk played, but never reaches. Well, then you can, I mean, you can do, instead of just doing minutes played, you could be like your warp during that play. So it's more tethered right. to how good you were rather than just, right. I happen to be out but, on the floor. But Tom, we also know sometimes <laughs> the popularity, which is what drives okay. the valuation. Has little Let's to do, do a composite score, yeah. a composite of but, but jersey sales and Twitter followers. Like, but you see what I'm saying? Like as we're doing this math, you're starting to figure out how like there really is no system to do it. But this isn't college basketball where when people say pay the players and say, but like, how do you figure out that? And they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, you, you know, you got to do it. This isn't that. These guys are compensated. They are compensated for their play, compensated handsomely, I might add. Would it be nice to get to own stock in, um, you know, Disney while I worked at ESPN? They did, hey, I mean, thanks for making Disney great for your little contribution. Of course. But also, I kind of just took the money and said, this is good, too. So I think what Michelle Roberts, the reason she's bringing this up now is because it's not certain that they're going to be compensated handsomely. There's going to be some pain in the future. It's quite possible, right? Like, these TV deals are going to be different in the future, right? Like that they're going to have to pivot to making gambling or global income replacing how much they're making from cable right now, right? The cable money is not going to be there. So not this level, not anything close, right? So I think she's like, and we just lost a season's worth of revenue and problem with the China deal, whatever. So no fans in the stands. So at the 50% BRI, she might be facing an angry LeBron, right? So I think she's got to say, hmm, like your Disney stock thing now goes from a nice have to have on top. I mean, a nice to have to a have to have. Right. So I think it is a decent time to say, well, you might not be having the same salary you had last year. You might have taken a 30 percent pay cut, but you own this stock. I mean, so do you understand uh, what a short is? I mean, <laughs> I, I still, still don't. This is the best show ever. <laughs> I, you know, every time I open my mouth and I say it, like I'm thinking like all these people are going to realize, oh, thought I mean was Sparty's a fucking moron. Then I think about it. I was like, you know what, man? I know there are other people out there like me, like smart people who read and keep up with them. Like, I just don't get it. Nah, and so I hope I can be like a lighthouse for these people. I don't get it either, guys. I like you. You've dropped the word lighthouse a couple times in this conversation. Yeah, man. And I because like that. I feel, I feel like I'm a ship at sea and it's oh. foggy as hell. And it's dark and like, where am I? And when we went to talk about NBA owners, like, oh, I'm off the coast of NBA owner land. Yeah, I know this stuff. And then we veered back to short selling. Oh, it's like it's, we're in high sea again and there's fog everywhere. And so Speaking of shorts, I don't know if Chris Cody was wearing shorts today when I went on Levitard show. I, I think he was naked. Then naked Chris, that's a thing. Yeah. What? What? He Did lost his shirt figuratively and literally in the stock yeah. market today, and so he ripped off his shirt. And so I joined the show to talk like very sophisticated financial market systems, and I'm being asked questions by a naked man on t- on Twitch. Naked Chris, That's a pirate ship for you. Yes, sir. It was lovely. <laughs> so, um, adventure on the high seas. 
So I know you're being called into the principal's office over there, I mean, at, at Lebetard's show, but are you okay? Yeah. Are you, are you, are you still in trouble? Oh. I don't know. Man. Maybe I could, maybe Henry can help me out, man. You know, I, I never met Skipper. I met him one time and it was very brief and it was all-star weekend. And I was not in the frame of mind where I knew I could have a conversation with the boss of all bosses. Can so I just, said, hello. You were drunk? Hello. Is that what that means? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now I understand. <laughs> yeah. And so I, 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 I said, hi, I shook his hand and then I just disappeared. And I remember yeah. getting a text from Dan 15 minutes later. Like, where'd you go? I was like, Dan, I just, I can't be here in this frame of mind. Like that's that's not how I want my first interaction with this guy. To Your be. risk was, management like, alarm just went off. Was that like, seems like yeah. it handled <laughs> very well to me. That's oh I, yeah, oh I handled it perfectly. But I'm just saying that that was my only opportunity. So now all my interactions with them now are about me being in trouble, and so you know it's you know, jeopardizing my my stance at the company that just formed, and mm-hmm. and you know uh, like it's just it's not fun, man. It's not fun. But also, as Henry knows, it's not like I have another way of doing this. <laughs> like, as I told Dan, you're surprised that a pirate behaved like a pirate. <laughs> That's what I am, man. Can you, I, um, yeah, I feel like there's a sort of anti-authoritarian streak uh, in me. And I think that's why I've always liked you. <laughs> it means like authority. Fuck you. Yeah. It's, and it's a weird thing because I think about this a lot in, the, in my moments of self-reflection. I'm someone who desperately wants to be part of something. I'm yeah. not a loner. I'm not an no, individual. You're not. Right? Yeah. That's why I didn't like writing. I don't like the solitude of it. I As like Levitard once being- told me, I, lo- I hate writing, but I love having written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I hated writing, and I sometimes was okay with what I wrote. So it was just that that wasn't for me. I like being a part of something, even doing podcasts or TV or radio. I don't like to be solo. I, I like to have a co-host or someone to throw off of. But at the same time, like Henry said, and I'm doing I'm not doing this on purpose. This is kind of like a reevaluation of my life. Like, I kind of do have a problem with authority because uh, I've always <laughs> like I've often said in the past, like I told my family one time, like man, I wish I joined the military. Oh, like no. when I was younger, no, sir. and they were like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, like you be in shape, you're hanging out with your buddies, <laughs> you know, like." And, and they're like, "You wouldn't last a day because, like, you get in trouble with authority, like with your higher ups." They're like, really? Attention, no, nah, fuck you, man. I'm not doing that. You, All right. When you say attention, I was more like, when you say attention, <laughs> how were you with like school teachers? Like I got good grades, but yeah, they, they, I was in trouble all the time. Yeah. I got, I once, when I was in the second grade, I'll never forget this. I went to the Catholic school in New York and they had two yards. They had a yard that was like a courtyard here. And then the backyard was where the teachers parked their cars, but that's also where the basketball hoop was. Mm-hmm. And so they used to make the boys play in the, just the, the vast expanse over here. And the girls got to play in the back. I'm like, well, the girls don't play basketball. Why don't, we get to play back there where we actually would like to play basketball. And the teacher said, well, we don't want anyone messing with the cars. Mm. So no one wants to mess with the cars. We just want to play basketball. And so I got a, I created a petition. I got all these kids in the school to sign. And I submitted like, yeah, we want to do this. No one wants to mess with the cars. We just want to. So they, they did it. Right. And like a week or two weeks in, somebody claimed that they saw me oh. messing with one of the cars. And so I, I like I was called in and they said, yo, you have to write 
da 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 on the board and we're taking away these privileges. I said, but I didn't do it. Well, they saw you. I'm like, well, I don't care what they saw. I didn't do it. And I'm not going to write anything. And I said, well, you're not going to go home until you write. So I said, fine. And I literally sat in a class. I'm in second grade. I'm six years old. I sat in the class all the way until like it was like seven at night. And my mom ended up having to come get me. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, they said I did something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to plead guilty to something I didn't do. So my mom was telling the teacher and she like, she just looked at me like, come on, let's just go home. And so I'm like, all right. Cause my mom asked, I, I finally did it. But like, yeah, that's, I'm not going to go along with something much like I'm not going to go along with, we should trade for Ben Gordon. Why? Because, <laughs> because Joe says he needs a, a change of scenery. I said, who's Joe? Joe Dumar. Joe, I said, Joe Dumars? The guy who's trying to trade him to us? Is that who you're, that's whose word you're going off of? Yeah, and I I'm trust gonna, Joe. Yeah, Joe. Joe's I'm got my best be interest quiet. at hand here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm working for a team and someone tells me the general manager of the other team says this is a good idea for us, as it, like, I, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be quiet. So, yeah, I, saw, I said, that's a dumb idea. And that probably wasn't great for my long <laughs> career. And, and every damn book has like all these Silicon Valley types saying like, surround yourself with people like who weren't yes men. They'll tell you what they need to know. And they don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll but, say David Griffin and Steve Kerr yeah. both respected the fact that I wasn't a shill going along with whatever. And that's what you say to Skipper. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to win a championship? Do you want to win a championship, John? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we settled that one. Case yeah. closed. Yeah. Go read the story on truth.com. Henry. <laughs> Go read some other shit first if you're like. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what is a That's put option? Oh, my God. What is a, I've never heard that term in my, like, you just saying that right now is the first time I've ever heard of it. A put option? Put off. It's it's like a mega short. It's the same thing we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're you're buying a contract to buy uh, a certain stock falling to a certain price eventually at a certain expiration date. It's so it's not point? important. I mean, can I be honest? I have one more question to follow up. It means excellent uh, second grade story. Um, where what where in New York was this? This is. Uh, it was like which borough? It was in Manhattan. So that space is really premium. Is what I'm asking, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you're hooping where they're parking, right? It's because like, well, that's why I'm not hooping where they're parking. <laughs> so you're, but you're, um, so you're six, which your whole story would not surprise me in any way, shape, or form. I don't think would be a sign of you being anti-authoritarian, except for the six part. If you were 11, be like, yeah. yeah. But six-year-olds don't have petitions. That's, no. the, that's the weird part. Like, I was like, why did I know how to do that? I know. Like, I don't know why. Right? I, I have a, a memory of being seven years old. Yeah. Being at the at the Javits Center for the auto expo. And they had, like, one of those robots where it's not really a robot or whatever, but yeah. it's, like, someone in a robot suit. And I remember asking the robot. It was like, ask the robot anything. And people were like, whoa. What makes the car in the you know what makes the car go? It's like well, an in- internal combustion engine. Da, 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 da. I remember I asked the robot, "What does DNA stand for?" And the robot just shrugged at me and said, "Deoxyribonucleic acid." And I'm like, "Why did I know that?" And and for me, the reason why these memories are very clear is because when I was eight, I moved to Sudan. Yeah. So I know this didn't happen when the I was ten. Mind. I'm just yeah. misremembering. Like I know this happened 
when I was either in first, second, or third grade, which would have been five, six, or seven. You know, so. So now I want to get the T-shirt, which is the robot's a dumbass, <laughs> which is like seven-year-old demeans shirt. <laughs> yeah, me attacking like I'm like I, I asked this poor dude in a suit who has like a speaker on him or whatever. Yeah, yeah. A question that I knew the answer to. <laughs> Amazing. And then he made up some shit about you messing with his car. <laughs> yeah. well, I got something for your ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Tom, did we? How are we doing on achieving your goals for today's podcast? Oh man, we nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely sending this one to everyone who wants to buy the Haber Show. This episode, particularly, yeah. And this is the banner episode. I think if the headline were Amin was a son of a gun in second grade, and we just cut that story, that could that could sell. I think that could be that what could we be just good. did, though, Henry. Is we created a a, a movie script just there? Is like, did. how did Amin Al Hassan come to be this guy? Yeah, and we just created a scene that is going to be the opener of the movie. I want in on the Amin life story movie script. When people are doing that, can I please be part of it? I want to be in that room. Not interesting. <laughs> are you kidding me? It's really interesting. I think we can pull something together. Oh, yeah. man. All right. Well, about it right now, Amin's thinking about it. He's like, what would be the opening scene? Let's think about it. Yeah, the opening scene is is falling into a pit of water at uh, yeah. <laughs> and oh. American Ninja You're probably. Warrior. You're probably wondering how I got here. You're probably wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> Let's rewind. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be good. Oh, man. Oh, the Wink- the Winklevoss-, Winklevoss twins are all over CNBC now. And it's just the- – the worlds have been colliding. Like college me trying to be an uh, banker in Wall Street and in Charlotte. And then like this NBA world, sports world, they're just like, boom, it's all happening. And tech. It's, it's uh, just, it, we gave it. all the money to like nine guys and now they're having a little tiff, you know? And it's, you know, it's a good reality show. It's not good for like the world, but it's a good, it's, it's entertaining. It's, it's good social media. I guess. Yeah, no, it's, it, it very much feels like something that Twitter yeah. Relish, yeah. and, then, and then forget about in three days. The Robinhood, yeah. the app that these traders are using is called Robinhood. And they Robinhood shut down the day traders from trading the GME stock, the GameStop stock. They just said, no, nope, not anymore. Robinhood is saying you can't. Know, I still don't know why the bank would say, <laughs> hey – I think I I think you're wrong on GameStop being profitable. Like, why would they? That's the worst bet ever. But it came true because some people on Reddit. You underestimated the underlying fervor that these people would. Yeah. And there's there's one more little part of this, which is always funny, which is the interim step is the dude from Chewy. Yeah. So there's like Chewy.com. I don't know if that's a success or not, but the guy who started it, became the intermediary step here where he invested a bunch in GameStop and was like, you know what? I think this is not bad. I think this is, I think we're going to turn this around. There's a way it can be all digital. We can address the mainstreaming concerns. We got some name recognition and we can upgrade the platform and blah, blah, blah. And so he was like, really like, it's really going to work, which gave a 
he was there saying this kind of stuff for a few months in advance of this mm-hmm. most recent turn of events where it kind of seemed like it was actually legit mean to short it. Right. Like blockbuster is, is a bad idea in 2021, but Netflix right. took what blockbuster was and made it a monster. Like so there's, there is a Netflix world in which blockbuster says, why don't we pivot? Yeah. In the same way that GameStop could be maybe too late, but could be like, yeah, you know what? We might be a little bit late on this, but we can actually corner the market because we already have but a bunch of loyal it, customers. But, but it is too late. They don't have loyal customers. I think that's the point of this. Not, these people now they do. Like happen. all these people are GameStop. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like that's the crazy thing to me. It's not like they had loyal customers and the loyal customers chipped in to save the old community center, right? Like this is people are like let's fuck with the system. And that's different, right? Because the reality is once they're done fucking with the system, the business model does is untenable. No one wants GameStop for real. They just want to fuck with the system. And so but there's but if they if they understood the underlying financial uh machine <laughs> that if I keep buying this stock, they in a short squeeze, I know this is this is getting back to where square square one here and it's scaring you. But like they saw a money opportunity. Like it's not that it's not a matter of like under it's not a matter of believing in GameStop's business. It's like I know that in 20 minutes this thing's gonna explode in value. So I'm just gonna buy it because I'm gonna make money on it. It's not the underlying right. fundamentals yeah. of the company. I, it's like no, no, but but he's, it's saying they, no, but yeah, he's saying that it's a balloon, right? Like so yeah. So I, there actually might be the world's might be so stupid. I mean that it's going to actually work anyway because now the word GameStop is in every headline. It's going to be in Netflix shows. It's going to be a, a, a punchline of jokes, which might mean that when they launch their GameStop streaming service and your children are on their Xboxes, wondering should I sign up for the Xbox monthly service download thing or ooh the it's cool GameStop. one, yeah, the one that made our friends seventeen hundred dollars in that on that weird Thursday last January or whatever. Like, like maybe we should just use that one. They, they might actually be getting a little <laughs> brand bump from this that will improve the Chewy guy's uh, approach to business. And then you the have the guy, guy massaging his cat up in the. <laughs> yes, it all is working according to plan. <laughs> Give Chewy the money. <laughs> <laughs> what accent was that? Um, criminal. <laughs> the Give Chewy the money. <laughs> Ricky Booby. That's what I'm. I'm imagining is <laughs> yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen. Ricky Booby. Sorry. Hey, I'm a Charlotte guy. There, there was a movie about NASCAR, so I got it. Really? I'm the guy that when he when he taught. I used to go to basketball camp in North Carolina, and by the end of the five days, I was full out sounding like John Skipper, like full out Foghorn Leghorn. Like by Let's the end of it. the five days, I just in just soaked up all of the drawl and just came out of me. Can we hear some? Yeah, well, I think right now, when you talk about the checks that are going to the NBA athletes, the NBA athletes, they need to be getting in part of those ownership groups. They need to be getting that fat check right there and go right in their bank accounts. I'm telling you, it is unfair what the current NBA teams are going through the players deserve more power. Is it bad that even though you said a very pro-player statement, I heard it as an attack on players the whole time? You just said you, you think I'm just innately racist by uh, by the, the Southern girl. I didn't say, I didn't say racist. <laughs> that guy, Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like players. He wants these players to go back to just getting their check. 
Why do they want to need more than a paycheck for doing what they do? A, a hard day's work. Work. What's the hardest? I mean, what's the hardest accent in America? Like that in you America? hear and you're like, I can't do that one because it means really oh, good at accents. M- m- the m- the Minnesota. Oh, geezer. I can't do it. Like the whole Fargo <laughs> accent. I can't do it. I like to do this little game with myself where like someone's going to give a talk on a difficult situation. Let's say there's a Donaghy scandal and David Stern's taking the mic. And like in beforehand, I'm like, okay, so what's a win? Like an hour from now, if I believe X, Y, and Z, this guy has won, right? Who's convinced me? Who's convincing? And I, you know, who's, and in that game, uh, I feel like John Skipper is as good as it gets. Oh yeah. No, he's definitely got, you know what he's got? I'm going to tell you what he reminds me of. And I, just in terms of the world is going to hell, the guy starts talking like, oh, he got a good point. Yeah. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton Very had good. that. Bill Clinton had a way of like, everything's going to shit. As soon as he started talking, let me tell you something right now. I was like, oh, you know what? He's got a point. <laughs> hey, no, I mean, it's a good. I admire the hell out of that skill. I really do. Uh, I, uh, by, by the way, Isaiah Thomas has that. Mm. Isaiah Thomas, I remember we traded Nazi Muhammad to uh, to San Antonio for Malik Rose and a first round pick, which in retrospect is really good. Not <laughs> really bad, good. yeah, yeah, right. But like Nazi had been averaging a double double that year, and so the New York media was just like foaming at the mouth. You trade him for dude that play da 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 da, da. and like so the first we have a game that night. So Isaiah does media availability. And all the cameras and press people are there. And Isaiah looks around and says, you guys act like I just traded Patrick Ewing. <laughs> and I swear, everyone was like, oh, he's got a point. <laughs> like, <laughs> he knows how to hit those notes, man. I'm telling you, he knows how to, like, diffuse really well. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the greatest performance I've ever seen was Stern with the Donaghy thing where he had that one press conference. Like, literally, Broke. the morning before, everyone's like, they're not going to be in NBA. We're done. We're just, it's over. And then like an hour later, everyone's like, of course they always had it totally under control. Like what's the big deal? Like, and it basically worked. Like it basically, he just shifted everything. The reality, Henry, is that like he understood something that I I don't know. It feels like a lot of people don't really understand is that sometimes as a leader, you just got to fake it till you make it. Like he had no control of that situation. Oh, none. Yeah. But But he just, just, Acted like he did. But like in the lockout, Henry, like the mutant pizza lockout, Henry, like (laughs) it was obvious that like, oh, like, man, how is he going to come out and rationalize this position that he just took? And he would go on SportsCenter and I'm like, oh, he is cornered, like checkmate. The players got him. Like he can't wriggle his way out of here. And then like 10 minutes of SportsCenter interviews, I'm like, he did it again. That's amazing. He did he did it to me so many times. Like I always tried to have like the big question and honestly this one I play back in my head. It's amazing. Uh after one more book came out, we got to the point where three of the four conspirators in the Donaghy scandal had said on the record the Donaghy fixed games. The fourth conspirator was Donaghy, yeah. who would go back to prison if he was found to have fixed games. And so I'm like, on what basis do you this is a press conference at All-Star Game in LA? Davis turns on the uh, – on what basis do you take the position that he didn't fix games? I didn't know. What What do you guys think he would say? I'm like, well, let's see how he does this, right? Three out of four, the fourth one is the yeah, guy who's going like to – Yeah, like I would say you just checkmated him, yep, and? You know what he says? 
He's like, oh, I love this. Every few months, a different convicted criminal comes up with a different theory, and you just run with it, Henry. Like, I recommend you go back and read what actually happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, damn. Like, you know, like, <laughs> You're like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Meanwhile, I was totally fucking right. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and that's The Haber Show. If you want to read more about Henry being really fucking right. Uh, go reach. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I see you, Amin. Awesome. Yeah.